Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The second time it's gone off. They never go home. They never go home. They never go home. Those, those, those boys. The second captain's world service. That's yeah. They have asked for that, really. Well, you can laugh. I'm the up. I'm a little bit of an idealist, but having said that, I want to be like me. After what we saw between Liverpool and Manchester United earlier on today, I think it's only fair to pose the question Is Eric Ten Hag a bald fraud? It's okay, guys. I'm a I'm bald as well. I'm allowed to say it. Hey, Murphy again. Hey, old. I oh, actually do don't think that's how it works anymore. But yeah, on this okay. occasion, it's fair enough. Wow. Well, I mean, you know, he got bigged up a lot after the win against Liverpool, the, mm-hmm. the catalyst for the rest of the season. So the criticism surely will rain down on his, what I would describe as beautiful bald head. <laughs> oh, my <laughs> word. What on earth happened in the second half at Anfield? Ken, you can give a long answer in your report on sport. Do you want to give a short answer before that? It's it's hard to explain. It's got to be a long answer, isn't it? <laughs> it's got to be, be a long answer. Okay, really that's a question. I'm going to give you an entire report on. I'm going to give you an entire report on sport to figure it out. Then we're going to hear Ken chatting to our friend Ryan Hun from the Stadio podcast and Righty's house, which I'd imagine was a, was a madhouse after Reese Nelson's injury time winner. Did you not Bournemouth. see the footage, John, from the match of the oh, day studios of Ian completely losing his mind? I didn't he actually it. see he it. Well, what, uh, he was, he, 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 was he, pleased. He was pleased, but he was also kind of he was kind of rolling around on the couch in an extremely yeah. hilarious fashion. Every time he like he stood up to celebrate, he fell back down on the couch and rolled around a bit. A bit. <laughs> I mean, it really was. It was a hell of a performance he put in. There's a lot. There's been a lot of um, fan pundits. Um, yes, you're it's sort been of a big weekend one. for them. You're you're our, you're our one, aren't you? Yeah, um, <laughs> our kind Murphy's, of yeah, toxic yeah. super fan. Man United are back. Yeah. <laughs> But there's, but, but there's been a lot of that on TV. The, in fact, I think the Liverpool-Man United game was a historic uh, yeah. high point for that. <laughs> Starting yeah. with Soonest before the game, evincing this absolutely baffling um, bullish confidence about uh, how Liverpool were. I just fancy that. I just fancy them to do it today. Man, just and, and people openly, openly laughing at him. People, I, I just fancy Roy ourselves. Gary Neville. I fancy ourselves to do it. Um, Carragher kind of holding his head. Keane and Neville laughing openly in his face. Oh, United are back. I'm never going to laugh at Graham Stevens again. He was right about Paul Pogba. 
and he was right about <laughs> Liverpool seven, <laughs> Manchester United nil. You know, this is a, this is a much maligned point, but you know, credit where credit is due. This Monday football show is out earlier than usual because of that extraordinary result today, and also tomorrow we are coming to you from New York City, baby. Yes, we're celebrating 10 years of second captains. I don't know if our non-members know this, but Mm. we are now officially 10 years old. We're going to New York. We're going to record our first show when we all arrive in Manhattan on Monday. So you're going to have to be patient. This one's out early. You'll have to be patient for your second Monday podcast because that would be a a Monday night job. So this will keep you going until then. And New York second captains listeners, would you like to come and see one of our recordings on Tuesday evening? We're going to be meeting up with a second captain's favourite, Caitlin Thompson, for the first time ever at Brass Monkey in the Meatpacking District. Yes. At seven PM sharp. Yes, or if you'd like we're to doing be that. There. That's what's happening. It, that we're, we're, yeah. We will one hundred percent be doing this. It's in really of, quite in, extraordinary. In front of our New York members, so you can email us today. Members at secondcaptains.com. We want your name and where you're from, and just put NYC in the email subject line. Entry will be free for this chat with Caitlin. It's in the Brass Monkey, but space will be limited. So if you have made the cut, we'll mail you by Tuesday morning. New York City time. And speaking of 10 years of Second Captains, tickets for our special show in the Olympia Theatre on Thursday, September 14th. We'll go in general release on Thursday of this week, but members always get advance notice on tickets and they've got their own pre-sale and they've received that advance notice already today. Just one of the many perks of being a member of the World Service. God, so you're, you're, get you're being so mysterious about this one. <laughs> Well, listen, wow. it's, it's the, the members have their message. Sign up yep. now if you want to get on board that. Secondcaptains.com, five euro a month plus fat. Oh, and you're amazing. Okay, Ken. You've got an entire report on sport to figure it all out. <laughs> <laughs> I really just do not understand what I saw today. I don't really get it. Um, it was It was just mad. You know, this mm. is a game which... For long periods of the game, it was it was pretty even. In fact, just before the goals started going in, Manchester United were kind of getting on top of the game. You know, they were they were they they had sort of um, you know Liverpool. I mean, we know how inconsistent, how kind of weak Liverpool have been throughout the season. How many problems they've had. How kind of fragile the confidence is. You know, they had started the game quite well. Being Klopp talking after the game, like, oh, we were incredible, we were sensational. I mean, they were they were okay. It was one of those where, um, you know, it was seven shots, zero on target. You know, one of those type of situations. Mm-hmm. United had, you know, four shots, three on target. So they seemed to be getting the more dangerous chances, playing kind of on the break. They had a couple of fast breaks. Um, you know, Rashford had a chance. Anthony had a shot that was saved. Um Liverpool had a number of shots and couldn't seem, you know, there was a lot of missed kicks. There was, there was Darwin had a shot that was blocked by Martinez. Salah had a missed kick, you know, it was, it seemed like they weren't really on it. And then suddenly they really were. And everything was just flying in. So I I don't understand how to explain what, what happened there. You know, I mean, you know, there was this argument after, so Gary Neville was, was obviously, quite upset by this the whole situation because you know as as we know you can't just be a pundit anymore and talk about the game you know as a, as a game <laughs> and try to analyze it you have to be like a fan who's been triggered by losing seven nil and you've been winding everyone up all day and now it's your turn to be wearing you know this is apparently mm. the form this 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 now takes um and he kept just he kept just sort of repeating the word it was a freak it was a freak it was a freak 
It was a freak. <laughs> freak. You know, he just kept saying freak. Over as though and it was over. unfair in some way. It was way. a freak. It just, like as though it was not a, it was not just, a legitimate football result. It was like yeah. a, a kind of an inexplicable just series of like a lottery. Like Liverpool won the lottery. You know, it was just like, oh, wow. Like the seven goals were like the seven winning lottery numbers that they just somehow freakishly picked. And it was a freak. And, you know, what can you say? It was a freak. And like there always is a kind of a freakish element to a game that ends 7-0. You know, unless mm. one team is just manifestly better but than the other team I would say there is, one, there is one recurring factor in any game that is won 7-0 by one team, which is that team is a lot better than the other team throughout the course of the game. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think I we mean, could all agree on that. At I've least. already seen the, the, the complete fluke of a 7-0, it is true. Yeah, I mean, I mean Neville did, did come close to arguing that that's kind of what it was, you know, <laughs> he, that they didn't play very well, yeah. and, you know, and so on and so forth. But... You know, there there is. I think the 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 stats at the end were like um, eight shots on target, seven goals. So you know, De Gea has sometimes has games where he makes twelve saves. You know, he's he's done mm. that before. This is like the opposite of that type of game, where <laughs> it's just it's all going. You know, it doesn't matter what what he like. One the first goal he didn't even dive for. You know, whether he was unsighted, I'm not I'm not really sure. It was a nice low finish into the corner. I mean, that's usually going to go in. You know, the goal, goal the goalkeepers are good at saving shots that come quite close to them <laughs> you know the is really mm. good at that being standing in the way of a shot but if the shot is in the bottom corner then okay it's, it's gonna be difficult for a goalkeeper uh the last one ends up going through his legs i mean there was the freakish one where luke shaw i mean okay freak i've used i've used the word there but you know i think when 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 you look back and it actually i mean it, obviously there were there were some elements like uh, you know, there there was a if you, last week they had that big FT Business of Football conference, and one of the speakers at it was Ian Graham, who is the director of research at Liverpool, who is leaving the job. You know, he's one, part of this kind of general mm. exodus. You know, he's one of the people who are leaving Liverpool. Well, he's keeping his head down this week. Uh, how do you mean? Well, because he says that he only ever talks. I mean, he's only got a captive audience when they're they have terrible results. But he gets to go in and say, "It's okay, lads, you're playing well." It's not his place to come in after 7-0 and burst their bubble and say, well, actually, lads, uh, Gary Neville Neville is right. The XG was around 3-1. You know, 3-1 is the result suggested by the XG. 7-0 was the actual result. Um, His quote was, um, I'm not suggesting our performance was good against Real Madrid. Uh, but some of those goals had large elements of luck or unexplained variants included in them. <laughs> so unexplained. I don't know what an unexplained variant is. If, it, if it's something distinct from luck, which he also refers to, what is an unexplained variant? I mean, it just must be one of those mad things that happened. Like Luke Shaw, you know, swings. Like, I, d- I don't know what he's really doing here, Luke Shaw. He can easily put this ball out for a quarter and it's not going to be a problem. But for some reason, he decides to lash it against Roberto Firmino. The ball flies straight to Salah, who kicks it straight in. You know, it's like, what? Or the ball, uh, Nunez is, is sort of trying to control the ball, runs through the middle, not really sure what he's doing. If it ends up hitting a nameless ball, deflects off McTominay, falls for Salah, who just smashes it in with his right foot off the bar. You know, these types of things. Fred moving a little bit too far over and getting done by uh, a pass from Andy Robertson, then falling, you know, he kind of slips as he tries to chase back and he's, he's out of the game. There, there were these types of incidents with some of the goals but there were also i think this is where i mean you know where where the the freak thing doesn't really cover it like it was a very good performance by liverpool and a very bad one by man united really bad and ten Hag after the game was they they said to him 
uh, is embarrassing. Jeff Shreves, I should say, so, mm. is embarrassing too strong a word? And he and he kind of looked at him and he just said it was really unprofessional for my team. And I'm like, I'm not sure if it's because you're not, in, you know, not speaking English as a first language, but unprofessional is actually way worse than embarrassing. I mean, yeah, embarrassing, yeah, yeah. embarrassing can happen, but unprofessional, as Ten Hag says, as he mm. often says, when, when they've had these defeats, he says, it can't happen. This cannot happen. Um, oh, I think, I think Ten Hag's being very deliberate there in his choice, in his choice of language. I, I don't know if he's assessing which is more damaging. I just think he wants to use mm. his own terminology. He's yeah, always I mean, very clear in the message he wants to, he wants to convey. It's funny, he does it privately and he does it publicly as well. I mean, he doesn't follow all the old Alex Ferguson rules, mm. um, which mm. Alex Ferguson himself didn't always follow, to be fair. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm reminded of that cup final that Aberdeen won 2-0 with Alex Ferguson doing a post-match interview saying how terrible his what team had played, what a disgrace they were. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That, yeah. that, that, that one, he, like, he didn't really read yeah. the room that time. But, you know? but yeah, that's what I mean. I, I'd, I'd say, I'd say, I'd say, he's quite, I'd say, un- unprofessional is like exactly what he wanted to convey. Eric Ten Hag is so meticulous and so professional. That's probably is worse than Bart. That's probably the ultimate insult that he can throw at his players. Yeah, yeah. and I mean, it's, it's like their worst defeat ever. Like, oh. this is Man United's worst defeat. You know, it's, yeah. they've, they've lost 7 0 three times before in like 1926. 1929 and 1931 or something like this. So apparently they, they, they used to lose 7... Losing 7-0 was a was a biannual occurrence in, during the Great Depression for Manchester United uh, or coming in the years around that. But now, this is the worst defeat since then. So it... it uh, like, already... Like, at 3 At 1-0, kind of, it was like, oh, you know, that's a bit disappointing considering the way the half had been going. 3-0 then, almost immediately after halftime, you're like, oh, well, this it looks like this game is now beyond us. Mm. But what they did then was just to, to cease playing altogether such that they ended up with a record defeat, uh, not a record, a joint record defeat. The worst, obviously, of the Premier League era, the worst team, I, I suppose, to I mean, whether they're the, they're the worst team to lose to. I mean, it is, it's pretty bad. It, it's, mm. it doesn't get much worse than this. And... I mean, you could it's, make an argument that it would be worse to fin- to lose 7-0 to a really terrible team, like, say, this year's Southampton. Although, you know... If you lost 7-0 at home to Everton or something like that. I mean, that would yeah. be... That, it that would, would be bad, be interesting, it, though. Yeah, it would be like, well, you know, that's kind of interesting, you know? Well, what are you not driving out here? What are they trying yeah, to say yeah. with this result? <laughs> you know, or is this 7-0? is like, oh, God, this is, this is terrible. And it's because and the way that the goals were kind of run in, like, okay, so part of it is that if you've got a game like this, usually the team that's winning slows down and it's like, well, mm. you know, we've won the game and now let's just pass the ball around and the referee will blow the whistle in 90 minutes and won't re-bother even adding on time, you know, that kind of a situation. But Liverpool are in a, are in a different place at the moment where they have just been, have been thrown into like an existential crisis by their, uh, by the 5-2 they suffered like less than two weeks ago. You know, it's, it's like people are saying everyone needs to go. Like this team has, has had it. Like uh, most of these players are past it. It's all over. It's finished. You know, that, that, that's kind of been the tone of a lot of, you know, the conversation around the team. And so they've got a real sort of point to prove about, well, we're not actually as bad. As the point that Ian Graham, in, in his more understated way, was making on, on Thursday, well, we're not actually as bad as, you know, the underlying data, you know, the results aren't great, but the underlying data is just uh, promising signs. So so they were in the mood to, to really press home this advantage and United were just didn't want to be there. And so there are a few things going on with United's performance. 
Let's talk, well, we should talk first about Liverpool because this was brilliant for them. Yeah, that's fair. The best thing, I mean, the best player in the game by mile was Salah. This was his best game since before the uh, Africa Cup of Nations in, remember the, he went away. Yeah. Remember we had a brilliant half season. Um, yes. Went away to the Cup of Nations, came back, barely did anything for the rest of the season. Um, and hasn't been great this season. Although he had scored 20 goals already before, you know, he's he's still scoring goals, but obviously it's it's kind of where 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 are where are all these goals? You know, you can't really mm. he obviously scored the winner against Manchester City in a in a big game. But there's been um it hasn't been great. This was absolutely brilliant um from him on every level. I mean, there's two goals, two assists. But also, the, just the confidence to sort of strut. Like, he felt himself, I am the best player in this game. You know what I mean? He kind of, where has this player been? A lot of the, it's, it's just amazing how kind of, how dependent, how, how sort of contingent on, on psychology football really is. Like, it's amazing. It's just incredible. The difference between Salah there and in 10 other games that you could, you could pick out from this season. Mm. I, it's, it's impossible to understand. I mean, nobody understands it. Like, if Jurgen Klopp understood it, like Salah would not have been so inconsistent. You know what I mean? Like it's just yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Sometimes it just, and, and it just you happens. can say the same thing about Salah himself. Do you know hmm. that? Like you know, I mean, you can try and ascribe. Well, you know, he's unhappy. He wants away. He regrets signing the contract or whatever. But like that, I, that's not you know. Like watching watching Salah today, it's obvious that was that has not been the case. He has been trying to find form. And for whatever reason, it hasn't happened. And then today, he was just, it just outrageous. It was just yeah. absolutely magnificent. And so, and then you know, things just happen. Like uh, he just smashes in a right-footed volley off the bar, no problem. Oh yeah, the ball, <laughs> the ball flies to him off from you know from the clearance by Shaw, and he just oh obviously I'll just kick that in, or you know I'll I'll just sit Lissandro Martinez down here. I'll spin yeah. him around and then sit him down and play a pass that absolutely nobody really is expecting you know, sort of behind the defenders, like a, a little pass to um, to Gakpo, who then finish, produces an amazing finish. Gakpo yeah, finish. Gi- gives a brilliant performance. You know, his uh, his first few games were really bad. You know, he he looked like, what what if, what's he meant to be doing? You know, is this guy meant to be the new Firmino? You know, this was the whole uh, thing leading up to the game. Firmino is, is leaving and people sort of reminiscing about what a brilliant player he's been. And then you, you have to consider, like, this guy is so has been so good in a kind in his sort of understated way. Like, his goal-scoring figures have never been brilliant, but, like, his all-round play is so good. And you just get so used to that over so many years that, like, how, how do you actually find someone like that? Like, Gakpo is not like Firmino in terms of the kind of f- fluidity of the way that he can kind of control the ball and turn in one moment. He's a bit more deliberate. He, he takes a few more touches to sort of, to, to, to do the same sort of things. You know what I mean? But uh, in this game, he, he sort of shows what he can do. First of all, the goal, uh, the first, the first goal to get, to get things going is great movement by him. First of all, to, to, to get into that unmarked, to, to get away from Fred. Uh, and then Fred obviously makes a mistake. Gakpo's in on it, goes past Veron really easily. And then a really clean finish. The third goal is the best goal of the game. And this is again, Gakpo. There was a, uh, Henderson uh, wins the ball uh, from a Man United corner. Uh, plays at the Gakpo just outside the box. He takes it brilliantly on his knee and on the turn. Gets away from Anthony, sort of shrugs Anthony's side, and then plays a perfect ball for Salah. But then tears up the field and outpaces all the Man United players. So Anthony, where's Anthony? So this is what Ten Hag is talking about, 
when he's like, this is unprofessional. This is, it's exactly that. It's exactly those types of things. You may be tired. I mean, Anthony shouldn't be that tired because it's not like he's played all the minutes. Um, Man United have had a tough schedule recently. They've been playing all the time. You know, they had three games in six days recently, playing all the time, winning the, the Carabao Cup and so on. Good results, traveling, uh, playing in Barcelona, blah, blah, blah. It's been tough. Um, so this kind of thing maybe is in the, is in the pipeline. Like there's going to be a day when you don't feel that sort of energy that they've showed in a lot of these games. And it's obviously that, that was happening today. But you've got to at least make an effort. You have to make an effort. And he just didn't. And, you know, Anthony I'm talking about here, but he wasn't the only one. The next goal is the same thing. It's a corner. Um, and, and again, Liverpool break. And if you look at it, there's five Liverpool players. There's only four Man United players. You know, at this, at this sort of situation, Salah ends up scoring. It's a, bit, it's a bit random what happened. But the fact is, they're not getting back. They're not showing this, this desire to avoid embarrassment. And so they ended up being embarrassed. And this is why, um, this is why it was, it was really bad. You can't, you can't just well, sort well, of dismiss just, it. Just take a Liverpool for a second, because I do want to, I do want to get into United, but, um, you know, you did say you're going to give them their dues. So who, who else is getting, who else is getting their dues? Then? Fabinho. Fabinho. Fabinho's had a yeah. nightmare of a season, uh, as we've talked about a lot. And he's, he has looked just a shadow of the man that used to be. He's looked slow. He's looked stiff. He's looked kind of unbalanced. Um, you know, what's frankly, what is this guy doing at this level? And how has this happened to this guy? He's only 29 years old. You know, it's crazy. I mean, we're, it's only a few days ago that we were talking about comparing him to Modric, who's eight years old, eight years older than he is. And just, you know, kind of just seems a lot more bouncy and elastic and what have you. Uh, remarkable. But, Fabinho had a really good game. And one of the big moments of the game, I thought, was in the lead-up to the second goal. Fabinho, who was very, as Klopp says, front-footed, um, coming forward to challenge for the ball. You know, not backing off, um, which is a kind of mistake that Liverpool make when they're, uh, you know, when they're not feeling it. Um, coming forward, uh, obviously the risk is that you get bypassed and oh no I'm miles out of position now but he's coming forward uh, against Casemiro Casemiro who's like PFA team of the season right he's, pr he's probably going to be in there everyone's like Casemiro has turned the whole club around he's the Sunday Times Casemiro is United's best signing since Cantona I think was the headline no actually I haven't read the story yet the, you know, but oh, the, I've read the story. It's unbelievable. It's not. It's, it's like John, the, Johnny the Northcroft Casemiro thing. stuff. It's Jonathan Northcroft piece. The, the Casemiro stuff is just like I know he's really good, but he's turned into the greatest player that's ever laced up their boots. There's a story. A story about Casemiro's extraordinary. Sorry, Liverpool fans. I know I've just turned it back around again. A story about Casemiro's extraordinary dedication after winning the Copa America with Brazil in 2019. He was on holiday with his family in Sao Paulo. They had their bags packed for a trip to Orlando when he sat down to watch his club Real play a friendly against Atletico Madrid in New Jersey. Real lost this friend. 7-3. Casemiro quietly separated his luggage from his families and booked a plane to Madrid so he could begin his preseason early. <laughs> so, Cas so Casemiro's a weird dude. But, but, well, look, you know, Casemiro, he, you know, I don't know, maybe he, maybe he's booked a hotel room for the night or for the week. I don't know. I mean, obviously, this is, I can't imagine he's been involved in too many. He wasn't there in, in Belo Horizonte, right? He wasn't, uh, he wasn't yeah. one of those Brazilian players. I mean, at least Brazil got one, you know, on the on the mm. night. Like they, they did manage to stick one in at the end, you know. Just, you but know. Fabinho absolutely won that battle. For, as well, Fabinho yeah. it was like it was a very dramatic moment because it was like a running skirmish. Um, for, uh, Casemiro, was, you know, Casemiro has been so good. Uh, he's there. Fabinho has been kind of so weak. He's so old. He's so finished. He's so past it. 
there's this skirmish develops between them. Casemiro goes down. Fabinho comes away with the ball. And then there's this weird interlude where Darwin has the ball. Varane is standing in front of him. They, there sort of seems to be a bit of a, a standoff between them. Like, which one of us should kick this thing? What do you think? Fabinho, <laughs> uh, Fabinho just sort of arrives in again. So I'll take charge. Passes it to Salah. And that's where the second goal, because Salah puts it in. Comes like, Another one of those weird moments. You know, Luke Shaw is clear. It just goes straight to Elliot, who pings it straight onto the forehead of Nunez, who's who's in a, I'm not going to say he can't miss, but he's in a, he, it's a point blank chance and he scores. And so this is, you know, that's a kind of a, a big moment as well, I, I think, for both teams. For yeah. Fabinho, because like this this guy is like his his superior, you know. In the he's keeping him out of the Brazil team. I mean, Fabinho was at the World Cup, but I can't. I mean, he didn't get on the pitch much. Casemiro is the main man in that position, and he's obviously been uh, had had a much better season than him. And and it's been a big part of the story of why Liverpool have had a bad season so far, and United have had a good season. And this was a. I thought that was a big moment in the game and obviously it led to a goal. That was two and then the, the third goal followed so quickly and then it was then it's kind of United seemed to be like, well, this is over now. now. The funny thing also is, you know, you compare that to Madrid's attitude when they went 2-0 down. Okay, they had a bit longer in the game. But, you know, they didn't at any point seem intimidated or rattled or they didn't, they certainly seemed as though yeah, we can, you know, we don't need to worry. It's it's a different situation. It's a, it's a two-legged game. You know, there's there's all of that kind of feeding into it. And it was earlier in the game at 2-0. But they they reacted a lot better to a very to a similarly pressured situation. United just sort of seemed to, to at that point, quit on their stool. But unfortunately, the, the fight continued, you know, and they mm. were just getting beaten as they, as they lay there. And, you know, I think that Eric Ten Hag also kind of screwed up. Like, he... Uh, and then again, I agree with what you were saying earlier. Right? I think Ten Hag has been really good. He's 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 been really good for Manchester United. Everything has gone very well this season, considering. But this was not good. This he made some mistakes, and the mistakes I think. Well, I mean, the, the first mistake I would say is um, I didn't I didn't think he picked the right formation. I mean, the obvious thing right before this game is say you're looking at these two teams, right? If you're looking at these two teams and their known attacking strengths and their known defensive weaknesses, who, which matchup between players on either side are you looking at and thinking that is a potentially unstable situation in this game that could yield a lot of joy for the attacking side? Hmm. Nunez on Alessandro Martinez. Well, you're talking about Nunez. I was thinking of Marcus Rashford, the most, the scoringest player Mm. in the world since the World Cup, against the well-known sham right-back Trent Alexander-Arnold. Right, who's repeatedly yeah. been burned by you know, you know this guy. I answered uh, that question like it was you know a number of hours after the game had already been played. Yeah, I apologize. I mean that that's the one that that I think everyone would look at and go, well, you know, Rashford might get a bit of joy there, mm. you know, when you consider what he's good at and what Trent Alexander-Arnold is bad at. And yet, this situation did not arise because Ten Hag, for whatever reason, decided to go with Rashford as the centre forward. Even during the week, uh, uh, Alex Ferguson was talking about Rashford. Did you see him talking? Oh, well, he's not really a striker, is he? He, he plays off the left. You know what I mean? Uh, thanks, Fergie. Thanks for giving your opinions on the current team. I'm sure Dan Hag was thinking. I love when you talk about my players and say where they should be playing. You know, the way you did recently when um, 
uh, who who was my Solskjaer was the manager, and he said, "Well, you got to start your best players, meaning Ronaldo." Remember, he was talking. Who did you tell that to? Khabib. Khabib. He was talking to Khabib Nurmagomedov in the director's box, and he told Khabib, "Yeah, you know, well, we should have started Ronaldo." Now, I mean, in this uh, instance, he was talking about Al Rashford. You know, he plays off the left. Now, Rashford obviously can can do either. I just felt in this game, the obvious thing to do was to have him playing against. Trent, who is, in addition to being a, you know, sometimes uh, exposed defender, is also the main attacking playmaker for Liverpool. You know what I mean? So when you have a really dangerous player up against him, it kind of has a both. You can you can sort of maybe uh, get in behind him, but also prevent him from having much of an impact on the game in, in the attacking sense. And Ten Hag decided to go a different way, which, of course, yeah, I mean, I'm sure he had an idea. I just thought, I just think in this case, the obvious thing to do was the right thing to do, you know, and and, and I think that was a mistake. Veghorst was playing number 10. And I look at him and I'm thinking, why is this guy even there? I don't even I don't understand what he's there for. Like, he's not going to score. Mm-hmm. He's he, he's not really able to get to the ball. He doesn't he doesn't really create. He presses. OK, does he press better than McTominay? You know, I mean, I, I just don't get it. I, I do not see what the what the point is, really. I mean, with with Veghorst, again, I know that when they signed him, I said, "Well, I think he's a good option." But I, I thought, yeah, he'll be an option. Not like he's he started Play every, every match, game. I think. Yeah, yeah, he's, yeah, he started every game since he's arrived. Now I know that they, okay, they they you know Marcel's been injured and and like uh, he was the best player they could get. I'm not I'm not I'm not saying he's Eric Ten Hag's idea of the perfect you know, attacker. He was the best player they could get in January because they didn't have that much money to spend. And that is going to be an interesting thing to see in the summer. Maybe they've, maybe they're, obviously a lot will depend then on the ownership situation. But I just don't really see what this guy is, is adding beyond, for, for example, Scott McTominay. You know, is is McTominay is not is is not like everyone's going. Oh wow, he's brilliant. He's such a good player. I mean, he he he's 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 got a good attitude. You know, he's a team player. He works hard and all those things. And I think he's just better at Vaguehorse than like whatever it is Vaguehorse is supposed to be doing, which is basically playing as a midfielder. You know what I mean? It's just I I don't get it. Um, Bruno Fernandez was playing on the left again. I feel. Player like him, you should have him in the center. Now, Bruno Fernandes had a, had a bad game, which continued to get worse as it went on, because there was like, you know, as the goals were kind of going in at one end, he responded to this with a lot of complaining to the referee. There was like um, faking injury. He even pushed the linesman at one point, which is crazy, you know, and but somehow didn't didn't even get booked for it, which I thought was amazing. Um, but again, I, I feel I, I'm not really sure what you do with him. Why is he on the left? Like, uh, you know, he's not a. When have I ever really seen him play that well there? So, so I thought that the formation, in this sense, the approach to the game was was a bit confused. Um, the other thing that I didn't like, and I thought was was a mistake from Ten Hag, was United's Eddie Howish approach to uh, all the stoppages in the first half. So every goal kick. They, they became this sort of, oh, you know, well, we've got a goal kick now. Well, we've, we've got to put the ball down. I mean, have you ever really looked at a ball? You know, it's a miracle of engineering. <laughs> have you really looked at a ball and sort of turned it in your, and in your hands like a glove? Just looked at the, the, the delegate, mm. the stippling, you know, all that st- stuff. And then, oh, actually, no, you, listen, why don't you take this? And, oh, why don't you? And, and it was like, so it was like this uh, time wasting. Oh, we're going to. We're gonna um, be negative. We're gonna slow the game down. You know, we're gonna silence the crowd and all this kind of stuff. 
I just thought it was completely the wrong approach for Manchester United. This, like the way they're coming into this game, they've, they've, they're on this massive streak of victories. They've got this huge momentum, right? They're maybe a bit tired from all of these games that they've been winning, right? But, but like they're the ones who are going to Anfield thinking, yeah, this is it. Now we're going to show these guys, you know, that last, you know, all that stuff that happened last season. I mean, it was five nil and four nil in the two games. You know, but the but both games were like a no contest. You know what mm. I mean? It was like United were so bad they knew they were going to lose before the game. They did well, lose. Well, Liverpool respected the quitting on the stool that happened last season, uh, which they shamefully neglected to do on this occasion. Well, they were, they, you know, they uh, were kind of... when you of, quit well, on the stool, the, the opponent uh, has the good grace to then stop f- flailing punches at their head and midriff. Yeah. Uh, but that's something that did not happen today. No, it didn't happen. But I, but I thought that, that psychologically it was the wrong tone for United to try and take. They should have been going after Liverpool. They should have been trying to say, okay, you guys have got a glass jaw. And everyone's, uh, quite a few teams have been able to find it. You've lost by three goals to Wolves. You've lost by three goals to Real Madrid. You know, the, there's, the confidence is so brittle. And this stadium, you know, everyone's like, oh, this Anfield, all this stuff people say about Anfield. This stadium will turn. I'm not saying will turn on the Liverpool players, but like can be silenced. But like as it was just 12, 12 days earlier, you know, with with Madrid, you just can't, we'll, we'll sit there stupefied by the... Um, Oh my God, I can't believe it. But I, but I sort of can believe it because we really are terrible now. We're, our team is gone and everyone's sitting there going, oh, the team's gone. Oh, How many players do we need? Nine, 10 players. You know, that's, that's the kind of prevailing mood around Liverpool. And United's tactics were the tactics of a small team. You know, it was like Newcastle uh, or, you know, Eddie Howe Newcastle going, oh, we'll, uh, we'll be clever. We'll frustrate. We'll slow, we'll slow it down. But that's, it just, Rather than quieten the crowd, it just annoyed the crowd. And rather than slow the game down, it kind of meant that only Liverpool were taking initiative in the game. I thought psychologically it was negative. Now, I know that I said earlier that towards the end of the first half was actually United's best spell of the game. So maybe in that sense, it was it was kind of working until it wasn't. But I, mm-hmm. I felt, I, I think when you take that approach from the start of a game, it's it's like, what are you, what are you really saying? I mean, you're saying you, oh, I'm going to frustrate the opponents. We've seen it done. We've seen it done at Anfield successfully. The best example being the the Chelsea, you know, the Mourinho. Exactly. I, I referenced that one last week. Actually, no, it is. It can be a tactic to unsettle the opponent, and it, that it can work in a tactic in and of itself to undermine that confidence. You know, just not let them get into any sort of a rhythm. But yeah. I take your I take your point you that really you're kind need of maybe to score too much about the. But get, you have to score damaging. the you have to score the first goal. You know, if you the, if yeah. you then concede the first goal. You look like a fool because you've just been you've been wasting time and being negative, and now you've got to go on the offensive. You got to change your whole mindset, and it's kind of like, well, our our efforts have been a waste. You know, our our whole approach was a waste. We all we did was was cancel time, and now we're losing, and we've got to go for. You know what I mean? I just felt he should have. I think if he'd read the situation a bit better, he would have gone. These guys, much as this has been a difficult ground for us to go to over the last few years, these guys are vulnerable. And if we go after them, they'll get scared, and that's that would have been the, that would have been the better approach to take. How and actually, the better way of asking this is: What about Manchester United's confidence now? I guess we're going to see what sort of foundations that's built on, or whether there's any brittleness there, because it's been an extraordinary run. They've won a cup, they've done brilliantly, they're looking good, they were looking good for the Champions League, and now suddenly this all-time humiliating, historic, humiliating result. That's like today, that team is a laughingstock. This team that's been absolutely rock solid for most of the season now. Mm. How how damaging do you think this is to their confidence? I actually 
don't think it's that damaging. Like, uh, I think... Just a freak, freakish result? No, I don't think... I, I <laughs> Interesting don't think viewpoint, that, kid. <laughs> no, I don't, I don't think that the Ten Hag's uh, approach is to go, well, this is an aberration. I think Ten Hag's approach is to, absolute, is to, is to hammer them. Right, but remember that before when this happened, they responded to it really well. And this is this is not the first time. Like, like they lost. Remember they lost six three at Man City. You know they were they got smashed in that game as well. But I know obviously there was this Brentford each, uh, which was four 0 in the second game of the season. Now each time that's happened, the response has been very good. You know they've lost the game and then they've con- then they've gone on a run of wins after that game because I think sometimes, you know, uh, this is a kind of a reminder. This is this is difficult. Like you can't, you know, this is a team that's not really used to winning, right? Hasn't been used to winning for 10 years, let's say, you know, they have, they, they have kind of lost that culture that they used to have under Alex Ferguson. And they kind of, you know, they've lost that. They're, they're, they've showed signs of regaining it this season. Sometimes, I mean, I'm not saying like, obviously seven nil is like, Oh my God. Like, I mean, there's not, there's nothing good about losing seven nil, but it is kind of a, uh, let's say, bracing reminder, <laughs> uh, you know, of you, you've, you've got to, you know, you can't just, you know, you can't just kind of phone it in. Um, you know, I, I still think that they've, I mean, they've got obviously a lot to play for. Uh, I mean, in the Premier League, getting back to the Champions League is huge. I mean, those players are playing for a lot of money there. Remember, this is like they're, they're, all their contracts go down by a quarter, you know, when they're not in the Champions League. So there's like a lot on, there's a lot on the line for them there. This is not, this is serious. Um, and I think they're really well placed to do it. Maybe they can win the FA Cup. Maybe they can win the Europa League. So I think they've still got a lot to play for. It's not, it's nothing like United last season where, you know, the season was over, like with, with three months to go, it was like, oh my God, like if, could we not just simulate season, you know, can we not just please si- simulate games? Do not, whereas, you know, I, I think they will, they will get back in it. Like, I mean, you know, it's uh it's a, it's a crazy, uh, it was a crazy football game, but like, um, I don't think it necessarily means that Manchester United have been smashed into a million pieces. Um, but yeah, maybe it's a reminder to them that, that they're not as good as their run has suggested and that Liverpool aren't as bad as theirs has suggested and as to what they're capable of. I mean, it's just a pity, I think, that they've lost by so many goals to Real Madrid because I, I, it's very difficult to have any confidence about turning that around, which is the main thing in their season. But on the other hand, the Champions League, I mean, they're above Newcastle now. Uh, although they have played a game more, and uh, the Champions League now looks as looks like it's something that they can do, or at least it's in there. You know, if if they beat Tottenham, if they you know they've got big games coming up, but it's from a position just a few weeks ago where it looked like, well, you know, we're going to be out of that, and how are we going to rebuild the team without the money and so on and so forth? And now it looks as though no, they can they can do this. <laughs> Too tired to clean your floors after playtime? Forgot to vacuum before your friends bring their little ones over? Let Eufy X10 Pro Omni help. Powerful 8,000 PA suction removes debris and MopMaster dual mop pads scrub away stubborn stains with ease. Save time and keep your floors cleaner. Want to know more? Go to eufy.com, that's E-U-F-Y.com, and discover X10 Pro Omni, the best-in-class all-in-one robot vacuum for only $799. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot maybe your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. 
United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Very pleased to say we can speak to the Liverpool manager, Jurgen Klopp, now. Joining us, what did you like about your team's performance tonight? Everything. Did I, did I hear it right that Mr. Keane said um, we had a sloppy performance tonight? Not only because I could hear you already. Did he say that? Cannot be this game. Sorry. Jürgen Klopp said the other day about Man City had a break because of the virus when their game was called off against Man City. I think they missed two days training. They are making a lot of excuses to meet up in bad champions. This was a sloppy performance tonight. I just want to not only hear it, because I'm not sure if I heard it right, maybe he spoke about another game. But about this game tonight, there's nothing bad to say. Jorgen Klopp said, yeah, maybe the goalkeeper's feet was cold. This excuses after excuses. Talk about Liverpool, people keep telling me Liverpool's a great club and a huge club. Well, keep performing like that, but you're not a 30 years before you win the league title. No, you're, can you hear me? Sloppy. Yes, I don't know. I look at a, a speaker and only heard the word sloppy. That's in that game tonight, and then it was the wrong one. You, you need to hear the rest of it. Ryan Hearn, it's uh, great to talk to you today. Great to talk to you, man, and uh, happy 10th birthday to second captains. Well, thank you very much, Ryan. So that's, a uh, great, that's, a, that's a great run, man. Wow. Yeah, yeah, well, I suppose, you know, the longer it goes on, the... No, that's negative. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to go down a negative road. Let me, let's, talk about, uh, let's talk about what happened... Um, what happened at the Emirates Stadium uh, last mm. on Saturday afternoon, and only the people at the Emirates Stadium in all, in all of the United Kingdom were legally entitled to see what went down there. Um, I don't know how things were over in Germany. Were you allowed to see this? Uh, are they, are the they allowed to show game Arsenal live. games? Hmm? Yes, I had the entire game live in its entirety and fully legal. Yeah, yeah. yeah it was on Sky. Um, it's good that, that this uh, Arsenal title run is just taking place in secret as far as all the broadcasters are concerned. But this, uh, we were able to see it also in Ireland live. We were able to watch um, this incredible moment, a really a sensational moment from uh, Reese Nelson, which a player who I had forgotten existed, who, uh, who has pulled off something. The, the only thing that comes to my head to compare it to is the Makeda uh, winner, from Manchester United in 2009. Oh, wow. That's 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 where we are at this. I mean, Michael Arteta said this was the 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 biggest, the most emotional moment that uh, we have lived together. We meaning him and the Arsenal fans and players. Yeah. Um, would you agree? I can see that. I think if there's there's a great thread going around on Twitter of that someone put together of various reactions of the the winner. And there were a few from in the stadium. Granite Xhaka's wife uploaded one that they posted and Alexander Sinchenko's wife posted one as well. And I think the thing that, that got me was just, there were just people everywhere. Everywhere you looked, subs on the pitch, you know, people moving all over. And up. A small I, child who somehow uh, was in position to high-five Nicola Arteta until Arteta then realised, what are you doing here? Honestly, I think this is one of my top five Premier League moments of the season. Arteta turning around, high fiving this kid, and then just being like, so well, "Hang on, child, hang on, you're very small." So we've got a kid here. Everyone, anyone's kid. <laughs> but I just think that 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 was actually quite a nice snapshot. I think of just how out of control that moment got, but in a good way. It was nice to see that many people lose control in a good way 
Yeah, it's just it just feels like it's. I, I mean, I personally cannot remember a moment quite like that at Emirates Stadium. There was obviously you know the the famous ones like Arshavin against Barcelona and all of this kind of these kind of ones, but I feel like with this current Arsenal side, it felt very new. Yeah, it is the kind of thing that happens when you do win the title. I mean, it has that feeling yeah. of destiny. Like, um, well, I tell it was asked after the game, you know, do you believe in fate? Do you believe in destiny? He said, I do. Do you believe in fate? <laughs> do I? You're asking me now. Do you, do you believe in fate, destiny? The Arsenal manager does. Uh, I, I don't know. I think it depends on it depends on the day. I think it depends on, uh, depends on what it is. I feel with this, I think it's so tricky because... I feel like this season has kind of been super weird from Arsenal and I feel like this game itself was super weird. It had the kind of the full spectrum and full extremes of potential joy and heartbreak in one football game, which I found quite interesting. Like well, I was watching the game on my own, for example, when the goal went in at right at the end, Reese Nelson's winner. I didn't jump up and celebrate or anything. I just kind of like sat there with my jaw like wide Stupefied. open. Just almost kind of numb because when Ben White's equaliser goes in, Arsenal still have 20 minutes minimum to play. And I felt like at that point, it kind of felt inevitable. Hmm. A winner felt inevitable at that point. It's just the fact that it came so late in the game that obviously it was pure pandemonium. But it's one of those, man. I feel like, you know, we, we, we respond to football results in a very different way to professional players and managers. And you know tomorrow that they'll be going through all of the things that they did wrong. Yeah. Because so many games like this, you've seen Man City do it this season. You've seen Arsenal do it in various seasons or anyone who's pushing for a title, taking their foot off the gas and they get punished for it. And I feel like if you can, if you can pick up points and not get punished for moments like this, we've all seen that movie, that Monday night, Arsenal play someone at home. It used to ha- felt like it used to always happen against Swansea. Swansea would mm-hmm. win 1-0 with no shots on target, that kind of thing. Yeah. What Arsenal have been doing this season quite a lot of the time is turning those defeats or draws into wins. And that can be the difference. It's super basic maths, but that can be. Why did you say this season has been super weird? Because I feel like it just has. I mean, from a purely, I don't know how you felt about it covering it, but maybe I was nudging too much into just from a covering it point of view. But I feel like we've been through two or three season peaks already. And we're only in March. And I think that might have been down to the World Cup landing, the men's World Cup landing when it was. Mm. It feels like we've reached... Maybe it's just maybe it's just kind of like my emotional level as a as an Arsenal fan, but also being neutral when we cover it on Stadio. Yeah. But also then doing the stuff with Ian Wright, who obviously is an Arsenal fan, and uh, yeah. you know, seeing it, you, you're surrounded by a lot of Arsenalness from um, you know, and it's and I feel like it's been it feels like there've been a lot of I mean, there literally have been more uh, turnarounds for Arsenal this season than they have done in the past. Well, which um, like, do you mean games where they were losing and ended up winning? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. If, uh, I was thinking about this before we were talking and one of the things that I thought about this this Bournemouth game is that this is cool, this kind of game is cool every once in a while, but you can't survive the rest of the season by doing this no. one in every two games. Do you know what I mean? It, it kind of reminds me, you know, the early stages of that Argentina World Cup run when you were mm. like, they, could, they just need a few more routine wins here. Otherwise, they're going to be exhausted by the quarterfinal stage. Yeah, because I mean, um, this was the same. It was the same story as against Villa, really. You yeah, know, I mean, Villa got an, they got an extra but even goal. Fulham early on in the season at home. Where they Fulham, go they, that was another. Uh, yeah. That was a two-one late winner. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but is are there sort of boring as maybe to contemplate? Kind of some legitimate questions to be asked about what the hell Arsenal are doing two 0 down after an hour at home to Bournemouth. I think Bournemouth actually were really good. I think the difference between this game and some of the games that Arsenal have won this season is that Bournemouth really made them 
go and win it. They capitalized on the few opportunities that they that they had in the game, which I think also when you meet teams in the season really plays a major part. When you start getting into March, April, May, and you kind of everyone's running out of time for whatever they're fighting for, it feels like every moment matters that little bit more because you don't have as much time to correct it. So with Bournemouth, you obviously you know they're they're down the wrong end of the table. They want to stay up. They jump out of the gate. They score this early goal. Absolute worst case scenario for Arsenal because Arsenal have you know they had that pattern early on in the season where they were scoring quite early and then Arsenal or finding way more space. Because of it, they've struggled or tend to struggle against teams who have gone ahead and been allowed to sit deep or teams that just sit deep anyway. That's going to happen when you're... Well, everyone starts um, playing that way against yeah, you. And also when, you yeah, and, when, and when, people, when people start respecting you, and that's not a, in any way a criticism of those team, it's, it, teams. It's a reality. Arsenal have done that against teams, even under Arteta. Yeah. Um, you know, like that win against Liverpool. I think it was in the COVID season. Was it in the COVID season or the season after? Which one? When uh, Arsenal basically just let Liverpool have all the ball kind of sucker punched them at home I think um, it was a, I can't remember which game it was now but there was a game like that where Arsenal have played like that so I'm not saying it's teams just teams that play the top teams but I feel like Bournemouth were just really really well organised they closed down so many opportunities that, that Arsenal had and I think one thing that was really interesting is that Arsenal have been really going into this, this thing that Man City used to do all the time just get to the byline and the cutback yeah. And this game, Bournemouth felt like they really shut down that possibility for Arsenal, which is why Arsenal really kept crossing the ball in the box. I think it was the was it the most amount? It was definitely the most amount of crosses that Arsenal had this season in the Premier League. And uh, I don't think Arsenal just crossing, you know, head height balls into the box is a particularly as a particular strength to theirs. But I feel like that's credit to Bournemouth who stopped Arsenal being as fluid as they can be in those situations. So basically, Arsenal had to figure out a way to go and win it. And um, one of those games that a point would have been fully justified for Bournemouth, but also I kind of think Arsenal deserved to win it. That makes sense. Thirty-seven crosses, I think it was. Thirty-seven. Wow. Um, yeah, I think I think we're looking at thirty-seven of which uh, of which Neto stopped three. Do you know, incidentally, why Ben White was um, was so annoyed with Neto? What, what, what was happening uh, there? Because uh, he, he screamed, Neto he screamed in his face at the end of the, at the, yeah, the goal, I, which seemed a mean way. I to... saw somewhere that apparently it might have even been Andrew wrote it on Ars blog. I think. Um, Neto gave Ben White a little a little slap on the back of the head at one point. Right, okay. Well, Ben White doesn't forget that kind of thing. Um, the, the, the thing that, that obviously has been kind of... The, the reason to doubt Arsenal, um, you know, in this kind of title race with Man City has to do, I suppose, with the fact that City squad is, is basically more powerful. Yeah. Um, and, you know, they can, they can sort of take more damage and still have reserves of strength. But in this case... Um, you know, as as obviously Arsenal has been missing Jesus for a while, missing mm. Kedia yesterday. You know, Partey's had a few issues, although he played and, and scored yesterday. Shaka started on the bench, which I wasn't sure whether it was mm. something to do with his condition, maybe he, or just because he actually had a couple of spare players in that in that zone for once. Now Trossard's injured, but the um, the fact that Reese Nelson comes in from from absolutely nowhere. I mean, really, I'd forgotten that he was still at the club. Um, and then the contribution also of Smith Rowe, mm. uh, who set up the Parteco. I mean, he came on as a sub and ended up getting substituted. Um, are these guys who you think can actually make a difference in, in the remaining 12 matches? I mean, yeah, they can in short because they already have. And, um, you know, Reese Nelson coming on for that cameo against Nottingham Forest as well earlier on in the season. People were like, wow, this is amazing for Reese because he's had a he's had a lot of injury problems before. He's had a couple of loan spells that haven't worked out fully and just had quite a few setbacks to his early Arsenal career. But speaking to 
various people who have watched him come through the youth system, apparently he was like, when he came through, he was like top of the class. You know, he was the one that everyone just thought this kid's going to be an absolute world-class footballer. And I think even around the club now, he's still very, very, very highly regarded, which is why he's still there. I remember the last time I was on, I think it was like the end of 2021, we were talking about Arsenal and we were talking about Enketia. Mm. And I feel like, I think it was after that League Cup round where um, Enketia scored and Patino came up. Patino, yeah. <laughs> where's, where's, where's he been? He's on loan at Blackpool uh, at the moment, but I think he's there. Uh, doesn't seem to be getting much game time, I don't think, under under Mick. Right. But, uh, we'll see. But yeah, I think with, we said at the time, I think I said at the time that I expected Enketia to kind of leave. But then he hit that amazing run of form towards the end of the season. And with Jesus coming in, it felt like a really smart option to keep him. And I think it's it has been a really smart option to keep him. I wonder whether now, this is such a different Arsenal to, to the Arsenal that, you know, these players either made their debut in or they came into it as, as young, young players. Mm. I wonder whether a similar thing might happen for Reese Nelson because he does seem to give you, I don't know, he, 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 he's so technically gifted and he's also so calm with the ball at his feet that I feel like in games like this, he is a, real, he's a really, really great option to have. And I think what Arsenal need this season, if they're going to get over the line, are all the options they can. Because so, much, so many times we've seen in the past, end of last season is a prime example, a few injuries to some key players, Arsenal are gone. Yeah. And I feel like this season, what they've addressed really well is actual squad depth. Trossard was probably a really, really low-key, underrated, good signing in, in January because of the fact that it happened after Mudrick. I think a lot of people got lost at just how good that signing was. Yeah. And the same with Jorginho to a, to a degree, I think, in terms of fee and experience and what you will need him for a really, really good signing. And it's about just... A guy who, who remember, Man City were, were really keen yeah, to sign and, yeah, and before and, he went to Chelsea. You know, a, a guy that a lot of people were saying should have won the Ballon d'Or a couple of years ago, which... I'm not sure I agreed with it at the time, nor... Well, he did. He won the Champions League in the Euros. So, yeah, exactly. Um, so trophy-wise, he was, wise, in the, he was, he was doing pretty yeah. well. Yeah. But still, just a really, really good footballer. So my point is that so much... We've heard so many times, like, I feel like I've lost count of how many times people have said that Arsenal were maybe one or two players away. And I feel yeah. like maybe those one or two players has now been in terms of just options, not necessarily first choice upping the level. Because remember, you've got someone like Gabriel Jesus, like you mentioned, to come back in at this point of the season... I think his impact at the start of the season has probably been a little bit forgotten because of Arsenal. Because it seemed to happen a million years ago, but it, yeah. he did he did sort of get the get the whole thing rolling right right yeah. from the start. Yeah. Um, where where do you think Smith Rowe fits in now? Because yeah, okay, he's missed about five months uh, yeah. injured, uh, which sounded pretty bad. Uh, he's yeah. obviously kind of kind of coming back in now, but in his absence, the team has obviously moved on to to another level. I mean, he was. Uh, part of this very exciting group of young players. Um, is there still room for him now in the team? And if so, where where is it? I mean, I think it's safe to say that probably as a guaranteed starter for the rest of the season, no. But as a, an option off the bench and maybe an option for some games where you'd like to rotate, definitely yes. Well, what what kind of a player do you think he is? Because, I mean, with the, with the other guys, you know, I, I think of Martinelli and, and Saka, obviously, you kind of... You can see exactly what what it is that yeah. they bring and where where they're most dangerous, which is like the the sort of wide attacking positions where they're at the moment. But what is what is that for for Smith Rowe? What is his position? I think ultimately he'll end up as one of the advanced eights in a midfield three, so kind of like a similar to Erdogan. Um And I know that that's a position that they've earmarked Fabio Vieira, but I feel like Emil Smith Rowe 
his skill set, I feel, probably suits that position better than it does as a wide forward. Especially if you have Gabriel Martinelli and uh, Leandro Trossard there as well now. Um, I think Martinelli works really well central. I also think Trossard has been pretty good in the small amount of time we've seen him centrally. But I think either as a drifting eight or kind of, to be honest, probably a similar kind of way that we used to see Mesut Ozil play. Essentially central, but he would drift. And I feel that the difference is now because Arsenal, to when Ozil was there, obviously Arsenal don't play with a singular number 10. I think more inside, because he does tend to cut inside anyway, and I feel like Arsenal lose a little bit of width when that happens, when he's playing out wide. So I feel as the one of those three eights, uh, sorry, two eights in a midfield three will probably be his long-term position. Mm. I don't know. Do you, what do you think as someone who... I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know if he has the stamina necessarily to, to play in, in midfield. I mean, maybe... Yeah. You know, I, I, I'm not really sure. I mean, the, like the player... <laughs> The player that he kind of reminded me of, just looking at him play, was was Paul Merson. <laughs> who, oh, I mean, it's. I mean, I, mean, I don't, just. I don't know why. I mean, I think it's just his kind of his running style or something is superficial like that. Um, yeah, Musa Musa also always says on Stadio. He said it once ages ago about how uh, <laughs> have you ever seen a professional footballer play like they've just wandered onto a park to have a kick about more than Emil Smith Rowe? And I love that actual. That's not that's not criticism in any way. It's just like a kind of vibe that he brings where he is. But I think that could be quite deceptive. I think stamina-wise, you're right. I think that's something he has always kind of struggled with. I I mean, obviously, he's had a really bad injury, like, ridden season. Hopefully now he's recovered. It'd be really great to see him get a full preseason again, having recovered from that, and then see where he slots in next season. Because I do think Arsenal are going to, whatever happens this season, I, I expect Arsenal to make some pretty serious, maybe one or two serious moves in the summer transfer window. So I think, again, you could see a couple of players maybe full out of contention for starting places or guaranteed starting places. But I think ultimately that happens, that's going to happen with any squad as hopefully you improve the squad. So you think Arsenal are going to go big again, whether or not they, whether or not they win the league. I mean, that's, that is sort of interesting because they have been doing Mm -hmm. this in a kind of um, slightly low key way for a few seasons now, you know, like, like Arteta obviously has rightly um, got like huge amount of credit for the growth of the team and how it's gone. But, but like, um, you know, do people need to sort of pay some credit as well to to um, Stan Kroenke? I mean, is he is he actually has he been playing the long game all this time? I mean, it's not that long ago that people were complaining and screaming. You know, spend some fucking money. Yeah, was the thing that. Uh, well, he has been doing that. I mean, is that really has that kind of been the engine of this? Um, you know, not, not that anyone's really been making a big. Oh, you know, people need to talk about Stan Kroenke's role here or Josh Kroenke or whoever, but. Um, but like, uh, th- there does seem to have been a kind of a, a a major shift in their attitude. You know, I mean, they've been at Arsenal for years and years, um, mm. but only recently have decided. Well, you know, maybe if we actually spend some money, this might might work better for us. I think it's a mixture. I think there was so much there was so much dysfunction at the club that I think having someone like Mikel Arteta come in with a real sense of authority. You know, had captained the club, won trophies with the club as a captain. What happened with Arsenal was that they never quite fell low enough to justify a reboot. Uh, I think Manchester United finally fell into that maybe in the last two seasons. And now, you know, obviously getting someone like Ten Hagen, I think you're seeing the, the effects in such a short term already, in short space of time. I think with Arsenal, they really, <laughs> it really needed to get pretty bad. And you guys covered it so much. I mean, there's literally like an audio bed with it, right? But it got pretty yeah. gnarly outside <laughs> any home game yeah. for a long, long time. 
And I think you also needed a little bit of distance from Arsene Wenger. And then with someone like, you know, we, we talk about this a lot. When, you, when you're replacing dynastic managers, it's not often necessarily the immediate rep- appointment afterwards. It's the one after that. Because it's really difficult for a guy to come in straight after someone like Arsene Wenger. So there's one guy who's just, who's just a mud guard who just has to absorb <laughs> some damage and then that's I mean, it. In a really horrible, cold way, yeah, I think it's. I think it can be really difficult for people to come in and replace people like that. And I think with Arteta, again, I think the last time we spoke, we were talking about he just dropped that thing that he said about phases, the phases of his Arsenal management career, and he was going, and they were just about to enter the next one. Actually, looking back on that quote now, it kind of makes a load of sense. And if you go back and revisit some of the stuff that he was saying when he took over, it's now starting to make sense. What kind, what kind of thing do you mean? When he was talking about just how he wants to play football, he wants all the ball, he wants to like dominate opposition, uh, the opposition, you know, he has all these non-negotiables. And at the time when Arsenal were like, there was a real point where Arsenal weren't great. You know, they won that trophy early on. I heard you talking about it in comparison to the Graham Potter thing, so I won't rehash it for listeners, but yeah. I totally agreed with what you were saying and that there is a difference. There's, the, there's a similarity or there's a, there's a tale there in terms of, yeah, give a manager time, but I, f- I feel like what Mikel Arteta did really early on bought him that time. But then Arsenal really didn't, they were, there was a while where they weren't great. And a lot of people were talking about him getting fired. And then actually a couple of really smart acquisitions combined with some faith in youth that maybe they, people within the club, remember, may see that two or three years before we do, because they see those players coming through the academy or or they see those players form in training. So you can kind of see now why people within the club seem to be way, way more patient than maybe fans do I mean I think to be honest people within football clubs are usually more patient than fans are anyway but I mean with anything there's luck as well but I just feel like from the signings point of view Arsenal just got better at recruitment and that was a major thing that they they needed to address I think the next thing for them is that they, they need to get as good at offloading players but the difference is that the, the profile of the squad has changed so dramatically that the kind of fees that you would probably if you roll through the squad now and you could you could pick the fees that you might recoup for any any player you want to sell it's probably just way more than it would have been two or three years ago because the profile of the well. squad is way younger. Yeah, and also just like their, their market value is up. Yeah, yeah. I mean, in, in terms of giving credit to Kroenke, returning back to the original point, I think more to Josh than to Stan. I think Stan's very hands-off. Josh is a little bit more involved in the club. But I also think it's just Vin Ivan, Kantasham, Edu. Because uh, remember, there was that, you know, since the Raul Sanjayi and uh, Ivan Gazidis days, there's been a big shift at... Um, Right, exactly. and yeah, he still holds the transfer record. I, should, I mean, he, you know, yeah. the, pe- the Pepe, so Pepe. Pepe yeah. deal is, is still Arsenal's uh, is. record uh, signing. Yeah. yeah, but also Pierre Matazaka doing a really good job at academy level. And it just feels like everything's a little bit... Arsenal, for a long, long time, didn't feel like a club that had a collective vision. And in the last couple of years, I think they have started to feel like a club that's kind of grown up a bit. Just the last thing here, Ryan, is um, they have to play Europa League this week. Um, it's yeah. Sporting Lisbon. Uh, sporting is this just a competition where at this stage they send out the reserves? I mean, what's what's Arteta's attitude? Do you try and do you try and keep winning the matches, or do you say, look, this doesn't really matter to us in the position we're in. Let's just um, you know keep our our boys fresh for the league. My honest answer to that is I don't know. I really don't know how they're going to approach this knockout stage or these knockout stages of the Europa League. I feel like they will probably maybe rest one or two key players if they can. I don't think you're going to see a huge... I don't think you're going to see 10 changes, for example. I wonder whether 
some of the rotation on the weekend was with the sporting game in mind. So it wouldn't surprise me if you saw like Granit Xhaka start the game. But you're right, I think there is going to come a point where there's a decision to be made. But again, I feel like at this stage of the season, um, momentum is really important as well. So actually maybe just trying to win every single game in front of you while you can. Yeah, it's probably the best way to do it. Okay, well, uh, I I guess a a lot of uh, of Arsenal fans would settle for that between now and the end of the season, right now, of the Stadio podcast. Um, and others it's been great to talk to you uh, on the show today and you man cheers Ken they are the champions they have taken the title away from Manchester United and they have done it here at Old Trafford it does not get more conclusive it's very difficult to see Arsenal play one day without Arsenal on the bench he's going to ruin the club fam he's going to ruin the club blood I'm telling you fam up and down the land, you do sense a genuine appreciation for the way this Arsenal team play. They were perfect. It's turning. It's turning, blood. Did you hear the booze at full time? Seriously, shut the fuck up tonight. I'm not in no mood for no little dickheads chatting shit. I'd love to have him there all the time, but we all know that's not going to happen. One day he's going to have to go. Spineless, where were they in the second half? Spineless, no fucking character, no fucking leadership. Where does that boil down to? It boils down to the fucking manager. He's finished. It will be hard. He's not thinking of leaving one day. He was a great manager. He's gone. He's gone. I don't, I, it will happen eventually. We all know it. But I, I don't see it. Arsenal Football Club, man. For me. The day I will see Arsenal play without Arsenal on the bench, it's going to be weird. Don't try to base this fucking cup. Don't try to have it before. Don't try to question my fan base. Don't try to question my fan base, okay? Fan base, listen. Listen, listen. I can't, I can't get angry. I can't get angry like I did before because it's just. Tell you one thing, lads. Gunnersaurus TV was a good place to be on Saturday uh, afternoon. I was, I was joining you, Aaron. I was joining you. We got about audience. as much. We got about as much of Gunnersaurus's views on the full time whistle as we did of Owen McDevitt, oh, uh, Damien Delaney, stop. and Kenny Cunningham. I was stop. very, was very some, annoyed on your behalf. Uh, Owen. There was some URC to get to. This happens occasionally. Unfortunately, you don't want it to be straight after. The game Arsenal of the season, win the league. <laughs> the game of the season, maybe before a different type of game of the season to the Liverpool yes. game today. But yeah, that was that was actually mad because you're you're losing more and more time the later that the injury time goes, mm. and it was already going late. There was a bit of I think there's a bit of Bournemouth time wasting, whatever, whatever was going on there. Then obviously the goal sent it all over, and like my producer's trying trying to talk to me to 
uh, to tell me whether or not we have any time or what's going on. And I can't hear a thing he's saying because Kenny and Damien are just roaring the place down. <laughs> and I'm not outing them as Arsenal fans here because Damien was sw- switching allegiances all day. <laughs> he was, this is amazing. This is amazing. This is amazing. But unfortunately, uh, yeah, it was a very, very, very quick 30 second post match after that. But, you know, such are the realities of live bloody television, television on. Oh. But there was plenty of time pre-match, probably too much time, according to some Arsenal fans. I have been arse blogged this weekend, guys. Oh. I have been arse blogged. What? Been arse on Premier Sports? No yeah, one. I, I've been arse blocked. Yeah. On Premier Sports yesterday, they gave predictions before the game. I'm not saying I blame Owen McDevitt of second captains as well as Kenny Cunningham and Damien Delaney, but they were all, oh, 5 1, easy win for Arsenal, or 4 0. Bournemouth are going to get spanked and then Bournemouth scored in nine seconds <laughs> cheers lads <laughs> it was unbelievable. so apologies for that one Andrew and all there listen it all all's well that ends well there with Reese Nelson's yeah Thunderbolt oh it was absolutely incredible I mean it was just a stunning um, moment uh, you know you're like this is they're going to do it like they really they, they're going to do it I know I've been doing this the whole mm. the whole time and then as soon as Man City but beat G- them, Gary just Breen was completely straight out lost with the- all confidence yeah, Gary yeah. Breen was straight out with the Steve Bruce reference, which, uh, you know, is that was Kenny. pretty I think accurate. That was Kenny Cunningham. Kenny Cunningham made a Steve Bruce reference. Was Unless it? Gary did as well. Could have been both of them. Yeah, I thought Bruce-y. it was Gary Breen now. Yeah. I, I, Bruce, I, Brucey I, against Sheffield Wednesday Mikada, all those years ago. Mikada was Mikada for me. I, I, um, that oh, was the one. You were trying to connect well. with the kids, uh, Ken, and I love it. Hey, look, all I'm saying is I think that was a 3-2. The millennials. From, a 3-2 up from 2-0 down um, mm. home victory by, well, a, by yeah, a, but player, I mean, a player who's like, hang on, who is this guy? <laughs> he just uh, materializes, well, well, scores the title-winning goal, and then that's it. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll, I'll give you that, Ken, but I will also say that Steve Bruce is, you know, on the verge of ending a, you know, a tw- uh, what was it, 24-year, 25-years uh, wait without a league title. Uh, and I feel yeah. like Reese Nelson is a little closer to that than Makeda adding, you know, Premier League number 13 or whatever it was, number 12 for it Alex was number, uh, number 11. Number 11, yes. Hmm. Why don't we play out with Liverpool goals 6 and 7 from Anfield today? So I can't get over this result. Just purely for the Cara laugh, the Carragher laugh, which was hmm. particularly maniacal at this point. Uh, I'm sure you'll all agree. The backing track. Thanks, Ken. Thank Thanks, you, Murph. Owen. Thank you, Karen. Thank you, football. Yeah, I'll talk to both of you in New York City tomorrow. I mean, that's for members only, of course. So to get on that and to get first dibs on tickets for the big Olympia show later this year, celebrating our 10-year anniversary, become a member now on secondcaptains.com. The Second Captains podcast is part of the A-cast. A-cast. Creator uh, Network, on. That's it, Murph. Thanks so much. It's six. Shirts off. Liverpool lift off to extraordinary heights. Oh, that's the one they wanted. That is the cherry on the icing on the cake. Bobby Dazzler, Bobby Firmino. Meet 2024's most anticipated robot vacuum, Eufy X10 Pro Omni. With powerful 8,000 PA suction and MopMaster's dual mop pads, it keeps your floor sparkling clean. It's the winner of five Best of CES awards, and Digital Trends says it boasts almost all the same features as robot vacuums that cost twice as much. Want to know more? Go to eufy.com, that's E-U-F-Y.com, and discover X10 Pro Omni, the best-in-class all-in-one robot vacuum for only $799. If you're a Shark Tank fan or business junkie, check out the podcast Another Bite. Each week, Another Bite breaks down the biggest success stories and most disastrous failures to come out of Shark Tank. 
The hosts break down each company's pitch, analyze the deals that were or weren't made, and answer the million-dollar question, are they still a company? Whether you're an entrepreneur looking for tips or a Shark Tank fan that just wants to relive the drama, Another Bite's your deep dive into the world of Shark Tank. Just search for Another Bite in your favorite podcast app, like the one you're listening to right now. It is not war and death and famine. It's not that at all. It's the opposite of that. It's to persuade the world outside of that. That's why sports important. <laughs> 